0: So I think for most of us, maybe for all of us, but I'm sure for most of us, at different points in our lives, there's a question that rattles around in our head uh, when you lay your head on your pillow at night or when you're reflecting back on life or when you hear something that, that provokes this thought. Maybe you don't ask the question quite this way, but in essence, the thing that rattles around, the question that rattles around for most of us and we wrestle with at some point is this simple idea of where do I stand with God? Where do I stand with God? Again, you may not use that terminology. You may wonder, well, is everything good between me and God? Is God upset with me? You know, am I, am I good for eternity? I don't know how you, how you think of it. But this is a question that all of us ask at some point, I think. Where do I stand with God? You ever wondered that? You ever wondered that in a, in a season of life where maybe you have drifted away And you know you've drifted away from your faith and you're wondering, I don't know where I stand with God. You ever wondered that in a stage of life where you just feel like your faith is stagnant? You ever gone through those stages? For some of you, you can relate to that, can't you? You just feel like you're going through the motions and it just doesn't seem like, you know, the same as it used to seem. And you're wondering, I don't know where I stand with God. Is everything okay between us? Uh, maybe f- sometimes for some of you, I think this is true. You-, you find yourself serving, you find yourself giving, you find yourself, you know, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm- you're doing all the things you think you should be doing, and yet at the same time, there's still this uncertainty that uh, nags at you that's like, okay, I- I'm doing everything I should be doing, but I-, I think it should be different, or I think I should feel differently, and I'm just not certain where I'll stand with God. Sometimes this question pops in our heads after a night of bad choices, or a night where you know, we make some decisions that lead to some shame, or uh, times when we make decisions and choices where we violate our values, and then we're left with some regrets and we're wondering, okay, I don't know after that. I don't know after this. I don't know. I don't even know where I stand with me. I'm not sure I'm happy with me, so I sure don't know where I stand with God. This is an interesting question to try to answer. This is an interesting question to figure out, and I think it's something that all of us wrestle with at some point. Wouldn't it be great if every single night for the rest of your life you could lay your head on your pillow? and have 100% confidence. You knew exactly where you stood with God. Well, previously on Starting Point, we talked about this idea that everything has a starting point. You had a starting point in every area of your life. Your, you know, romance, your finance, your marriage, your dating, your, um, uh, your career, your education. I mean, you name it. Every single area of your life, your good habits, your bad habits, they all have a starting point for all of us. Uh, and The other thing that's interesting about this and piece that we don't think about often but I'm trying to bring to the surface during this series is the simple thought that our faith has a starting point too, doesn't it? Our faith has a starting point for most of us. The starting point for our faith was as a child. We had a parent... pastor, a priest, somebody who we respected who kind of told us what to believe. They said, you should believe that, and you should believe that, and you should believe that. And so as a kid, we just adopted these beliefs because we trusted these people and we should have, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. So we just adopted these beliefs. They became the framework for our faith. The problem was, as we grew up and got older, we began to have experiences and we began to experience some educational things and be exposed to some things educationally that led us to go, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. I'm not sure how that fits in with the framework of faith I was given as a kid. I'm not sure how, if, you know, if that line up, I think there's some discrepancies between the two, and there were some doubts created. And as an adult, and you began to experience, it's true for most of us, you began to experience, I began to experience, some uh, some pressures in life that caused our faith to begin to struggle. Some pressures in life that caused us to go, well, I don't know, and what about? And some doubts began to creep up. And one of the things I'm suggesting there during this series, that it is possible, it's possible, I don't know what your upbringing or your framework is like, but I think it's possible that maybe, just maybe, you have some faulty beliefs in your framework of faith that maybe there were some things that were explained to you as a kid and they were explained to you in a way that was appropriate as a you know to be explained to a 5 year old or appropriate to be explained to an 8 year old or appropriate to be explained to a 10 year old but then you you know you get older and you need a fuller explanation you get older and you need some more details you get older and you need the rest of the story so to speak and nobody ever gave you the rest of the story and so you assume and rightly so you just assume that what was explained to you when you were five or eight or ten well that's all there is to this faith thing but what's what you heard at five or eight or ten doesn't help you now that you're an adult and you're experiencing some of the things that you're experiencing so my premise or my suggestion is simply that I think for most of us when we become adults, we need an adult starting point of faith. That it is healthy, that it is valuable to go back and to start or to restart our faith in some ways. And so I've asked this question, I think it's a great question to consider. The question is simply, if you didn't know anything, where would you start? If you didn't know as an adult, imagine that you could reboot your brain and not know anything about faith or church or God. If you didn't know anything, where would you start? What questions would you ask, and who would you ask them to? Or what would you read? Where would you look for answers? If you didn't know anything at all, where would you start? Well, here's where I want to go today. Just like your faith has a starting point, all of our faiths do, or even if you're not a person of faith, your idea of faith has a starting point. Just like that is true. You may not have thought about this, but every faith tradition or every faith religion has a starting point as well. As a matter of fact, and this is what I find interesting, and this may be new information for you, I don't know. But when you look at the three major religions of the world, Islam, Judaism, and Christianity, we're at least familiar, we've heard about all three of these. When you look at the three main religions, faith movements in the world today, they all have a common starting point. This is what's so interesting. Now, They're not all the same. And anybody who tells you, well, every religion's pretty much the same, they just haven't done their homework, okay? These three faith movements are extremely different. These three faith movements, they started in the same place. They start with a common starting point, but then they go three very different directions. And yet, interestingly enough, they all start in the very same place. For instance, every one of these faith traditions believes and teaches that God created the heavens and the earth, and then God created a single man, Adam, and from Adam came the entire human race. Now, you may not believe that. I'm not trying to convince you of that. That's just what all three faith movements or faith religions teach. All three faith religions also teach that once human beings were on this planet, that we messed this world up pretty good. That, in other words, we got way out of line with what God's design was for the world. And all three faith religions teach that God showed up to one man, and through that one man, God chose to begin to clean up everything that we had messed up, everything that we'd broken in this world. God showed up to one man, and all three faith religions believed this man was a starting point of God doing something to clean up or to change our world. Now, the man's name you probably have heard of, his name's Abraham. In other words, this, this is what's so fascinating to me. When God looked at a world that was full of brokenness, that was full of pain, that was full of injustice, that was full of suffering. And we look around today and we think our world's full of injustice and suffering, I'm telling you. If you go back and you read history about the time Abraham lived, I mean, the injustice and the suffering that went on in that period of time, it just blows away anything we experience today. In that period of time, it was survival of the richest. It was survival by those who had the most power. Might made right. It was way different than it is today. In those days, if you had enough money and you had enough power, you could do anything you wanted to do, and nobody would stop you unless somebody came along with more power and with more money than what you had. And so, kidnapping was normal practice, slavery, normal practice. Men would see women, men treated women like property back then. Men would see women that they wanted to take for themselves, and they wouldn't ask, they wouldn't date. They wouldn't, you know, propose. No, no, no. They would just take them. And if necessary, they would kidnap them. As long as they thought they had enough money and power that nobody could stop them from doing it, they would just kidnap a woman and take her for himself. And off they went. The woman got no say. At best, at best, what they would do is pay a little money to her dad. And then everything was settled and everything was good. Because, again, if you had enough money and you had enough power, nobody could stop you they didn't they didn't have laws the way we have laws today there wasn't civil society the way there is today i'm telling you the injustice it was things that would just i mean we would scream about it if and when we saw it today and yet uh, god steps into a world just like that to a man named abraham and he begins to do something really really interesting god had one of two choices God could have said, you know what, I see how messed up this world is. I'm just going to hang a big condemn sign on the world. I'm just going to hang a big out-of-order sign on the world. Everybody's going to be left to themselves. They've got to fend for themselves and figure this out and fix this and clean it up on their own. Or God could have said, I think I'm going to step in. I'm going to start to clean up what they messed up. And that is the choice that God made. And God made it around 1876 B.C. Now, here's... Something you may not realize, because if you grew up in church, you grew up around church, you hear Abraham's name, because he's a starting point or he's a central figure in Islam and Judaism and Christianity. Because of all that, Abraham has been spiritualized to the point that he almost seems like some saint. He was not. God did not look down from heaven and say, let me find the most righteous, religious person I can find. Let me find the most moral individual on the planet, and I'm going to start with them. That is not what he did. He chose Abraham when Abraham was just a normal, everyday guy. Abraham was a guy who struggled just like we struggled. Abraham was a guy who made choices none of us, quite honestly, would have ever made. In some ways, he was more bankrupt morally than we are. Abraham had a moment in his life. Imagine this. Abraham had a moment in his life when he was traveling with his wife, Sarah. They didn't have any kids. They were traveling through Egypt. And the princes of Egypt saw Sarah when she was young and beautiful. And they went back to Pharaoh at the time and they said, Pharaoh, there is a new woman in the land and we think it's a woman you would be interested in. Again, if you had the power, you could do whatever you wanted to do. And so Pharaoh sends uh, messengers to Abraham and says, hey, is that woman your wife? And Abraham knows, this is just the way it worked in society. Abraham knows if I say yes, he's probably going to kill me and just take her anyway. So you know what Abraham does? He says, nope, she's not my wife. She's actually my sister. Go ahead, just take her on. And they do. Now, fortunately, you know, Pharaoh finds out the truth before anything happens. But this is the kind of guy Abraham was. Eventually, Pharaoh gives Sarah back to Abraham, and they go on their way, and they spent the next 25 years in marriage counseling. Can you imagine? I mean, you think you have some marriage problems. You ain't got nothing that bad you're dealing with, okay? Nothing that bad. This is Abraham and Sarah. I mean, this was a normal, normal guy. This guy was nobody special. He was nobody religious. He was no, no one extremely moral, and yet God looks down and puts it, points his finger and says, okay, I got, it's just a mess down there. i got to start somewhere. It's just a mess down there, but i got to pick a spot. Okay, I might as well pick Abraham. I might as well start with him. And God has two different conversations with Abraham over a period of a few years that are so relevant, so relevant to what we struggle with today, are so relevant to figuring out our faith and how to take a next step in it. And they're relevant largely because they address this tension that we all feel, this question we have all asked, of Well, where do I stand with God? How do I know how he feels about me? How do I know if everything's good between me and God? How do I know if he cares? How do I know that he's with me? How do I know that you know, he's not angry with me in some way? Well, Abraham and God have two conversations that are recorded in the Genesis account that answer this question for us. So I just want to jump into them. The first one happens. It's the very first encounter that Abraham and God have with one another, as far as we know. And then a few years later, there's a second one, and these two conversations tie in together, and I'll connect the dots for us as we go along. Here's the very first conversation that God had with Abraham. It says in Genesis 12, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Now, just... If you can somehow go back 4,000 years in time and imagine that you're living in that culture, in that world, with their technology, this is a much bigger deal than it is today. And it's a much bigger deal, not just because it was so hard to go anywhere because it was so dangerous to go anywhere. It's a much bigger deal because Abraham's not 25. Abraham is about 75 years old when this happens. You know, you remember when some of you are younger, you're in your 20s or you're a high school student or college student. When somebody brings an adventure like this to you, it sounds like a blast, doesn't it? Like you're like, okay, let's go. I'm all for it. I'm ready to see something new. You get to be 75. Find a 75-year-old in here. It'll take a while. But find a 75-year-old in here. And when you, when you find one, ask them, how exciting would it be for you to start over today and move to a whole new country? And they will tell you, not on your life, not going to do it. Because when you're older and you have to start over, that's, that's challenging. That's difficult. But that is what God says to Abraham. And it's like before Abram, Abram, Abraham, same person. Before Abraham can even protest, God says, but wait, 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 wait. I know you're old and I know it's going to cost you a lot and I know you don't want to do this, but, but I'm going to make three promises to you. Now, I I think these three promises are fascinating. You may or may not believe that these three things have actually come true, but it's hard to argue. These things are so fascinating. They were made to a man 4,000 years ago, and today we can see that they all have actually happened. Here are the promises God made to Abraham. He said, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And you can't argue with this. Like Israel today, the Jewish people, they claim and they believe they are that great nation. There are some Arab countries who also came, you know, their lineage comes from Abraham. And they say, no, 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 it's not the Jewish people. We're the great nation that God was talking about. But nobody can argue that a great nation has come from Abraham's family, from Abraham's lineage. Now, the question I have when I read this and think about this, think about this scenario is, wait a minute. Abraham and Sarah have no children, none at all. God, you're showing up in a messed up broken world and you decide to start right there with him and you tell Abraham your plan is to build a great nation. How are you going to clean this world up, God? Well, step one is I'm going to build a great nation. Can't you find a faster way to clean up the mess? I mean, that's like you having a heart attack and walking in the ER and they look, they look at you and say, you know what, we're going to help you, don't worry. We're going to make sure you make it. But our doctors first got to finish med school. As soon as he's done, he'll be here. As soon as she's done, she'll, you know, You'd be like, are you kidding me? Where am I? You know, we've got to have immediate help. Well, it felt like in that day, they needed immediate help. But God says, nope, I've got a big plan. I've got a much bigger perspective than you have. So yeah, I'm going to clean this up, but it's going to take a while. I'm going to clean this up, and I'm going to start with a man who has no son and no daughter, and we're going to, from that man, build a great nation. Promise number one. Promise number two was this. He goes on, he says, Abraham, I will make your name. Now it's getting personal. i make your name great. And you'll be a blessing. And again, you can't argue with this. Every time I talk about this, I love to ask this question. How many of you, before I started today, had already heard the name Abraham? Raise your hand. Raise, come on, come on, everybody. Yeah, everybody. Everybody. Isn't that crazy? This guy lived 4,000 years ago in a different culture and with a different language. And here we are today and we know his name. Even if you've never read the Bible, you know his name. Pretty much everybody in the world knows his name. Have you ever heard of this guy? His name is Kedor Laomer. No, you haven't, have you, unless you've heard me talk about him. Kedor Laomer. Kedor Laomer was one of the most famous kings in the days of Abraham. He was the king of Elam. He's the one we should have all heard of. We don't know his name. Pharaoh, king of Egypt. We don't know for sure which Pharaoh it was. We can't pinpoint exactly during the time of Abraham's life. Historians don't know for sure exactly which Pharaoh was king of Egypt. Those are the names we ought to know. We don't know these names, but we know Abraham. And then the third promise was this. He said, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And now this is, this is big. All peoples on earth. Abraham's got to be going, are you kidding me? God says, no, no. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And again, Today we know that because of Abraham and because of his lineage and the nation that came from him, and ultimately because of Jesus, every single people group on the face of the planet has been influenced for good in some way because of the legacy of Abraham. Now, Abraham gets his promise, and Abraham says, Okay, God, I'm going to go. And Abraham leaves everything and takes Sarah, and off they go to this land. They don't even know where they're going. But we read that, and we think, Well, Abraham... You should have no question, you should have no doubt about where you stand with God. Are you kidding me? God showed up, according to Abraham, God showed up. He spoke to you. like He made you all these incredible promises. Abraham, if anybody on earth is confident that they're in good standing with God, it should be you. But you know what happens with Abraham? He loses that confidence. And he has the same doubts you and I have. Because he goes for year after year after year after year after year, and he doesn't hear any more from God. And he doesn't have a son. And none of the promises seem to be fulfilled. And Abraham goes through seasons just like we all go through where he wanders and drifts from his trust in God. He wanders and drifts from his faith. He wanders and drifts from believing. He has doubts and he engages in behaviors that are, you know, there's no other way to describe them than sinful. I mean, they're just so out of line with what God's design was for him. And Abraham ends up at a point in his life Where he's laying his head on his pillow at night and he's wondering, I have no idea where I stand with God. But it can't be good. Because if if God was good with me, then he would have done what he told me he would do. And here I am. He's an old, old man at this point. I have no son still. I'm going to die soon. And when I die, this is what Abraham believed. This is how low he got. He said, when I die, everything that I have is going to be inherited by my chief servant. His name was Eliezer. Everything's going to be inherited by Eliezer. He's going to get it all. And all of these promises that I thought God was going to keep, he's not going to keep. And it must be because I'm just not in good standing with God. And so God shows back up in a moment when Abraham is praying one of those desperate, my heart is broken kind of prayers that we've all prayed at different points. And he has another conversation with Abraham. And this conversation is so fascinating because it addresses this tension of where do I stand with God? Here's what happens in this one, Genesis 15. Then the word of the Lord came to Abraham. And he says, this man, he's talking, Abraham's been praying and moaning and griping about how Eliezer, the servant's gonna get everything. He says, no, no. This man will not be your heir. Your servant's not gonna get everything you have. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your your heir. Abraham, I'm gonna keep my promise. And then... He says, God took Abraham outside, and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed, you can count them. He pulls Abraham out of his tent. He says, walk out here and look up. Now, can you imagine? I mean, back in those days, no cities, no you know, electricity, no lights. Can you imagine what the sky must have looked like then? He pulls him out of his tent, and he says, I just want you to look up for a minute and stare at the sky. Have you ever done this? You probably had a moment like this, haven't you? where you just go outside, you're in the middle of the country, you're up in the mountains, you just go outside, and it's just the sky is just like it's lit on fire with stars. He's looking up. When you look up, when you have those moments, isn't there something when you look up and you see the vastness of our galaxy? It's, you're just left in awe, aren't you? You're left in wonder. I'm left, when I have these moments where I look up, I'm left going, well, you know, if God created this. If he created the stars in the sky, then my little problem, whatever my little problem is, it's no problem for him. I mean, good grief. I'm small and he is huge. And that's what he wants Abraham to remember. Abraham, you're looking at all the problems and you think you're too old and you think you're not going to have a son and you think everything's not good between us because I haven't done what you want me to do just yet. But just look up and remember, I'm way bigger than that. I'm way bigger than whatever problem you're facing. And then he says, Abraham, I want you to count the stars. Just count them. I can imagine that Abraham's standing out there going, okay, well, one, two, you know, he gets a little ways in it, and you're you're like, what do you mean? I can't count the stars. It's impossible, and the reason it's so impossible, we know now even better than Abraham, it's impossible to count the exact number of stars because there are over 100 billion stars in our galaxy, and on any given night with the naked eye, you can see at least 2,500 of them. So he's having him look up, and he's going, okay, do you see this? I just, want you to, I just want you to gain a new perspective, Abraham. I just want you to look up and remember. I'm bigger than all this going on in your world. I'm bigger than whatever obstacle there is. I'm bigger than whatever problem you face. And then he makes Abraham the same promise again. He says, so shall your offspring be. Abraham, look up at all the stars. Can you count them? No, I can't count them. Well, one day your descendants are going to be as numerous as those stars. There'll be so many you can't count them all. There'll be so many you have no idea. Abraham, you're not ever going to live long enough to see it, but I'm just telling you, this is where it's going. This is what's going to happen in the future. I'm going to keep my promise. Now, here's why this is so powerful because this was God looking at Abraham saying, I want to invite you to trust me. I want to invite you to trust me. I know you can't see it. I know you're never going to see it, Abraham. You're going to die before all this happens but it's going to get started. I want to invite you to trust me. I know you're too old, but I want to invite you to trust me because I'm promising a son who's your own flesh and blood is going to be born to you. I want to invite you to trust me because a great nation is going to be formed. I want to invite you to trust me because what you can't see right now but is actually happening through you is I have picked a point to start cleaning up this mess of a broken world. And over a period of the next few centuries, I'm going to continue to clean it up and clean it up and clean it up and clean it up until from your family and from your nation I will show up on this earth in flesh and blood as Jesus and I will die and rise again to pay the penalty for all of this brokenness and all of this sin. That was the invitation. It was an invitation to trust something bigger than he could fully see. To trust even when there was no evidence that he could hold on to. But trust was at the heart of it. And then, the writer of Genesis, he makes a statement that is, that is so personal. Because what happens here between God and Abraham, for the first time in recorded history, God has just defined the terms of what a relationship with him looks like. God has just defined the terms in, t- in terms of, okay, if you want to be in good standing with me, If you want everything to be good between us, Abraham, I'm going to explain it. I've never explained this to anybody before. I'm going to explain it. Here's what it takes, and here's what it means, and here are the terms by which you can come to me and be in good standing. This next statement, I just can't overemphasize it. It is so important to understand. Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he, God, credited it to him, is righteousness. And as we talked about last week, this idea of believe is not, well, I just believe that God exists. That's not, Abraham knew God exists. That wasn't what he was believing. Abraham, in this moment, believed in or trusted in God's goodness and God's character and God's promise. Abraham believed in and trusted in that God would do what he said he would do and that he was who he said he was. And the writer says that because Abraham believed that, God credited that belief, that trust, to Abraham as righteousness. You want to know what righteousness means? It means right standing with God. That God looked down and he saw Abraham's belief and trust in what God had just told him. And he said, Abraham, that's all you need to do. You and I are good. That's all you need to do. I'm going to treat you as if you have fully met my standard to be in my family and to be in relationship with me. Abraham, your trust just unlocked the door. Your trust just Sign the adoption papers. Your trust just puts you into right standing with me. You're part of my family forever. Again, what's so fascinating to me about this, this is before Moses. This is before the Ten Commandments. This is before rules and laws, and we're going to talk more about that next week. This is before all of that. There is not any quid pro quo here. There is not any, okay, let's just line out this contract, Abraham. If you'll do this, 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 and this then this is what you're going to experience. This was God looking at Abraham saying, nope, this is all you need to know. You trust me, and you're good with me. You trust me, and you're in good standing. You trust me, and everything is good between us. Here's the big idea that you've got to walk away with and you've got to understand, that trusting God results in a right standing with God. This seems so simple. But this is what God was teaching Abraham, and this is what God has taught us through Abraham. Trust in God. Nothing more, nothing less. Trust in God results in a right standing with God. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. Over the centuries, this idea got lost because you know what happened in Judaism? As Judaism began to form... They began to say, you know what, no, 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 it's not just trusting God. Like, you need to have trust in God and you need to be Jewish. If you're not Jewish, you need to convert to Jewish. And there are some rules you got to follow and there are some foods you got to eat and not eat and there are some certain things you got to do and not do in order to be good with God. And then several centuries after that, Islam came along. And Islam said, Muhammad said, no, 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 no. See, you you got you to gotta trust But in in addition to trusting, you've got to do certain acts of righteousness, and we're going to define what those are for you. And then at the end of your life, it's going to be up to Allah. He's going to decide, does your good outweigh your bad? Have you done enough acts of righteousness that, that you're going to get in and everything's going to be okay between you and God? But this was never the message that God sent Abraham. This was never the message God sent anyone throughout history. As a matter of fact, when Jesus showed up on this earth to communicate and demonstrate what God was like, you know what he said repeatedly? Trust in God results in a right standing with God. He never gave a list of things to do to make us good with God. He always talked about trust. Specifically, he talked about trust in himself and in his death and resurrection to pay the penalty for our sins. He said, you want to be good with God? Here's all you got to do. You can't do enough. You got to trust instead. And then Jesus left this earth, and his first followers began this movement that we're still a part of today. But guess what happened? Guess what happened? Like 30 minutes after he left the earth, they were already getting this mixed up. They were. And they were saying, well, 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 okay, you got to trust. you got to do what Jesus said. you got to trust. But in addition to Jesus, we think you need to follow these certain rules, and we think it would be important if. And they just made it so complicated. It's, always, it's been complicated ever since. Because we humans have a tendency to complicate this thing. God never complicated it. Jesus never complicated it. He taught trusting God results in a right standing with God. So if you want to find a starting point for your adult faith, or you want to restart your faith, you want to figure out how to take a faith that's become stagnant, and you want to re-energize it, you want to grow in your faith again, this is where you start. The starting point for a relationship with God is trust. That's it. It's just Trust. Now, why is this so hard for us to accept? Because if you're anything like me, there's something in you that goes, yeah, but what about? Yeah, but it can't be that easy. Yeah, but you got to do something. Yeah, but, I mean, how does trust alone? I mean, there's something else that just resists this idea, doesn't it? And I'll tell you why I think that is. For some of you, this is so hard to accept and embrace. Because you grew up in a religious system where you were raised in a certain way, where you were taught this wasn't true. The message you were sent was, the message you were told was, yeah, you got to trust, but you also have to. You got to trust, but you were treated as if your behaviors mattered more than your trust. And that whether you were good with God depended on how you'd been living and what you'd been doing lately. For some of us, it's hard to embrace because it's just not the way any other area of life works. Sports don't work this way, careers don't work this way. Education doesn't work this way. Relationships don't always work this way. For a lot of us, you know, everything else in life, it's about what you earn, what you earn, what you earn. And you get what you've got coming. And then we hear a message like this, and we're like, it can't be that simple. I mean, it's not the way it works anywhere else. So with God, there's got to be some element, I've got to earn something or do something or deserve something. I'm telling you, this was Jesus' message. And it started all the way back. God first communicated this all the way back with Abraham. That the starting point for relationship with God is trust. That's it. It's just trust. So, here's what I want to do. I want to give you some homework again. I want to give you a question to ask. And I, I think this conversation, I hope if you're in a small group or starting point group, you'll talk about this. If you're not, you need to get with some friends, or you know, over lunch today, or with your family, or you know, wherever. College students, you need to talk about this. And there's all kinds of yeah, but what abouts? And I get all that, but you need to sit down with some friends and talk about this. This is such an important conversation to talk about. Even if you grew up in church and you know what the right answer is, it doesn't mean this is how you practically act. So I want to give you this question. I want you to be really honest with yourself and really honest with some friends as you wrestle through this. The question is this: Which of the following? Best reflects your view. I want to give you some options. Which of the following best re- reflects your view? God accepts me based on birth. In other words, well, I think everything's good between me and God. If I ask you, how do you know? Some people say maybe this is you. Well, I think good things are good between me and God because well, I'm an American and aren't all Americans Christians? Or I was I was born into you know a Christian family and I've got Christian parents. So aren't everything good? Everything's good there. You know, is it birth? Is it behavior? If I said, hey, how do you know everything's good between you and God? What would be the first thing that came out of your mouth? Would you start talking about what you do and how moral you try to live and you try to be a good person, and you try to be generous, and you go to church and you read your Bible or, you know, I treat people well? Like, would your, would your answer, would what was rattling around in your head all revolve around your behaviors? Hoping, you know, I think my good outweighs my bad. Or maybe it's beliefs. Would you start saying, well, you know, everything's good between me and God because I believe the right things? Like, I believe this and I believe that and I believe this and I believe that. And you'd start, you know, outlining your framework of beliefs that would convince you of that. Where do you tend to lean? Where do you tend to lean? Not like, you know, not after what you just heard me talk about, but just forget all that. Like, when this wears off, okay? We just catch you that somebody catches you this week and says, hey, how do you know everything's good between you and God? Well, what tends to come to your mind? When you find yourself laying your head on your pillow at night and you're wondering, is everything good between me and God? Where do I stand with God? How do you try to answer that? Where, where, what do you look to to find confidence in those moments? Is it birth? Is it behavior? Is it belief? Is it a combination of the three? You need to figure this out. And then you need to figure out, are you going to hold on to one, two, or three of these Are you going to choose to be open to embracing this idea that God communicated to Abraham? That trust in God results in a right standing with God. you got to figure out which way you're going to go. Because it will have everything to do with your confidence in terms of wondering where you stand with God. See, if, if what God said to Abraham really is true and it's about trust... Then everything's good between you and God, no matter what you do, no matter how you behave. Everything's okay. You're still in you're still in good with Him. So, well, that doesn't even sound right, Matt. I know, I know, but you know when God said this to Abraham? God said this to Abraham before Abraham did a lot of the dumb things Abraham did in his life. He said to Abraham long before he had that deal where he was like, I'm not having a kid still and I'm doubting God again. And Sarah looked at him and said, Why don't you just sleep with my servant Hagar and have a boy with her? And so he did. I mean, how dumb do you have to be as a man to do that? Answer, really dumb. But you ladies understand how we can be that dumb, can't you? So he, you know, he did all kinds of dumb stuff. And got, again, God said, Okay, okay, listen, I know Abraham. You're going to do some really dumb stuff. You're still not going to get this right. You're still not going to trust me all the time. It's okay. I'm telling you. I have credited your trust in me as righteousness. And even though you mess up and even though your behaviors don't align, you are still in a right standing with me because once I bring you into my family, I'm never kicking you out. Is it possible? That is true for you. Is it possible that your relationship with God has nothing to do with your behaviors, your birth, or your beliefs? and it has everything to do with trust. Some of you, this is where you want to be like, whoa, I'm sending an email or a text or message because are you kidding me? Like, There are rules in the Bible. There's a big thing called the Ten Commandments, Matt, and there are all these rules and you got. Yeah, yeah, there are. There are. I'm not, I'm not saying behavior doesn't matter at all, but it doesn't matter for the reason you think it matters. It doesn't. We're going to talk about the role of all of those rules next week. You can't miss next week. If you're wondering, well, what does that have to do? You know, how Ten Commandments, and shouldn't we live a certain way? Yeah, yeah, come back next week. We'll talk about why that is. But I'm telling you, when God spoke to Abraham, there were none of those. And God didn't give Abraham a list of things as long as you follow all of these guidelines and all of these rules, and we're going to be good. Nope. Abraham chose to trust. God chose to credit. It is Righteousness. God put him in a right standing simply because of his faith, his belief, his trust in who God is and what God said he would do. So are you open to embracing that? Or do you find yourself leaning one of these directions or a combination of them? Because if you do, you're always going to wonder where you stand with God. If you do, you're always going to have questions because there is no finish line here. There is no clear standard. There is no clear bar to, to clear. There's no way for you to know if you've done enough, believed enough to be good with God. But according to Jesus, that's not the way it works. Anyway, the starting point for a relationship with God is trust. Nothing more, nothing less. Let me pray for us. Father, this is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's hard for us to embrace some of us because we grew up in religious systems or grew up around church traditions where this is not the message that was sent to us, where everything was about our behavior and our beliefs, and where it was communicated to us that things weren't good between us if we didn't follow the rules. For some of us, this is so hard because it's just not the way it works in any other area of life and there's so much pride in us to want to earn what we get and deserve everything that we get that we don't want to acknowledge. We can't earn or deserve a right standing with you. For some of us, it's hard because it just feels too simple. So would you help us this week to wrestle through this idea? Help us to figure out where we tend to lean and what we look to for our confidence, whether it's our our parents and family we were born into, whether it's the way we live, our behaviors, whether it's what we believe. Help us to figure that out and help us to see how that just might be creating a barrier between us and you. Thank you for making it so simple, and thank you for loving us so much to invite us into your family simply through trust it's in jesus name we ask all these things amen